Welcome to season 3 of Mimble Mimble the Harry Potter podcast and welcome back to Mimble Mimble the Harry Potter podcast. I am Prashanthini and I am Aishwarya. So Aishwarya, do you remember when you started the podcast 1 year ago, a particular listener of ours wanted to be featured on season 3 or the book 3 reading of the podcast? Yep. I remember that very clearly because at that point we were just a few chapters into book 1 and book 3 was such a distant point in the future distant dream yep we are finally here and i'm super excited to be reading book 3 because it's our favorite book i know it's really exciting but also kind of scary same feeling yeah <laughs> <laughs> we have an exciting episode lined up today yeah it's called hermione buys a cat and it's going to cover chapter 1 owl post chapter 2 aunt marge's big mistake chapter 3 the night bus parts of chapter 4 the leaky cauldron it's been so long since we recorded an episode that i think we kind of went overboard this time with the number of chapters as you might have noticed this season is going to be a hermione themed season just like season 2 was a ron themed season and season 1 was about harry who knows where we're going to go next Not us for sure when we did this naming convention. <laughs> yeah, if you do have any suggestions, please let us know. Yes, but before we jump in, let's start with the summary. Harry Potter is back at Privet Drive for his summer holidays. The Dursleys confiscate his school things, forcing him to do his homework under a blanket and ignore his birthday. But things are still tolerable for Harry until Uncle Vernon's sister, Aunt Marge, shows up. She loves criticizing Harry, but Harry is determined to keep his temper as he wants Uncle Vernon's signature on a permission slip that would let him visit Hogsmeade, a fully magical village near the school. But after Aunt Marge makes a particularly nasty comment about Harry's parents, he accidentally and literally blows her up. He runs away from the house, sees a large dog, gets picked up by the night bus, and learns about Sirius Black, the Voldemort supporter who escaped Azkaban. The Minister of Magic welcomes him to the Leaky Cauldron and tells him that Aunt Marge was fine now and that he can spend the remainder of the summer holidays at Leaky Cauldron himself. Harry has great time exploring Diagon Alley. On the last day of the holidays, he meets Ron and Hermione. Ron gets attacked by a huge ugly cat in the pet store and Hermione buys the cat. We are both reading the illustrated edition of Prisoner of Azkaban and believe us it's amazing. I know, right? When I bought the Prisoner of Azkaban the illustrated edition I know you received it as a birthday present. Thanks Vinod. <laughs> But I remember getting my copy. I flipped through it because I really wanted to see all the illustrations really quickly and, and see like my favorite scenes. But it was this time when I was doing the research for this episode that I realized that the story actually begins before the first word is on the page. Right. Exactly. Even as you know there are credits and Bloomberry's little notice <laughs> about mm-hmm. copyright Jim Kay has even used that particular space to show us Azkaban in yes. this dark black and white illustration that is so beautiful. Yeah, that's the first thing I noticed because the actual story what J.K. Rowling has written is not that serious when she begins. It actually follows along the lines of book 1 and 2. But when we see the illustration of the stormy seas, the shipwrecks and what looks like the outside of Azkaban, even before the story starts, we see this dreadful place and get that this book is going to be even more serious than its predecessors. I agree. But then we see all this and we jump right into Harry's childish concerns about not being able to do homework. See, I used to be there as well, but then when I was reading the book this time around, I realized that it's actually a really great first line because it gives new readers a lot of context. 
immediately jk rowling is telling us what sets this book apart from like any other book you might read about teenagers harry is an unusual boy because he hates summer holidays i mean which kid hates summer holidays and he likes homework and oh yeah also he's like a wizard but that part not as important as the summer holiday hating or the homework which you know also tells people what kind of a writer she is and immediately like showcases her sense of style and humor yeah I was pretty impressed with that opening line. Initially I was also like Harry doing homework. I mean the first two books are enough for you to like figure out what kind of a student Harry is. Average at best. Like he does homework some of the time but it's not like he's Hermione who's color coding his study plans and doing homework in advance. But then I realized that Harry's probably doing his homework because it's the only tie he has with the magical world in the Dursleys house. and it's the way he can keep reminding himself that there's a world beyond this private drive house with these annoying people even if it's a essay for professor bins about which burning yeah if you remember in the second book he's so cut off from the magical world that he wishes to see his worst enemy draco malfoy just to make sure that whatever happened in book 1 was not just in his head actually now that you mention it there is a huge difference between the opening of book 2 and book 3 even though the dursleys pretty much react in the same manner right they lock all his stuff under the cupboard but the difference here is harry himself harry takes initiative and steals his school books from the cupboard book 2 harry did not do any of that he actually like kept hoping that the dursleys would see the light of the situation and like help him out and stuff book 3 harry is not interested in doing any of that he knows that if he wants something he has to go for it book 3 harry is a teenager yeah he's entered his rebellious phase as we would see as the story progresses he's closer to being an adult and clearly spending 2 years standing up to police has given him a lot of training and he's starting to apply the same principles with his tormentors at home too yeah the homework as you mentioned that harry is working on is about witch burning and we can see the trademark jk rowling humor here she's talking about how witch burning was like a sport to many witches because they cannot actually be burned they just put on a flame freezing charm and they just felt ticklish when mothers thought they were burning the witch so it's much more serious than what jk rowling is making it out to be in this particular instance because in tales of beedle the bard dumbledore has left a lot of notes on the story called the wizard and the hopping pot in which he says visiting families were particularly prone to losing younger members whose inability to control their own magic made them noticeable and vulnerable to muggle witch hunters this persecution also led to the statute of secrecy that governs the wizarding world as a whole so it's no laughing matter i agree but i think it's also another choice to show us a her kind of sense of humor and also b to show us that this book is not playing around playing around in the sense that there are serious things in this book i mean even though the witch burning is never discussed ever again that's where the series is going towards it's no longer about just you know facing one big bad and then defeating him but as the series progresses we find out that evil doesn't always wear a face that is hideous it mm. can be all around you so i think it's another step in that direction i also think that she used it to sort of build her own internal universe you know she used this and uh, there's another reference later on in this chapter when ron talks about egyptian wizards putting curses inside the pyramids which is a reference to the curse of the pharaohs which is very popular when tutankhamun's tomb was opened she's using both of these things to sort of strengthen her own universe it happened in the real world but she's taking it she's modifying it a little bit and using it to add color to her own universe so you're sort of like hey i already know that yeah you're in on the joke i like that this happens in multiple instances in multiple ways in the chapters we pick when harry takes the night bus and asks stan shanpai can the driver whether the muggles can't see the bus they say 
"'Them?' said Stan, contemptuously. "'Don't listen properly, do they? Don't look properly, either. Never notice nothing, they don't.' It's supposed to make us feel like magic is all around us, but we don't notice it enough. Another example is in the pet shop, there's a rabbit that keeps changing itself into a top hat. The muggle version of magic is a rabbit being pulled from a top hat. And this adds a lot of color to the universe, but also gives people hope, especially children. If they're reading it, they might feel like, okay, maybe this kind of a wizarding world does exist. And maybe there are things unknown to us all around us. And maybe this person, Harry Potter, might be real. It's a nice way to immerse yourself into a story. And I really appreciate that there are a lot of cues for us to do so. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if it's true for us as adults, kids are even more prone to believe that something like this could be possible and be right next to them. So back to chapter one, Harry recounts some of the incidents that happened over the past month, which included Uncle Vernon getting a new company car, which I found was a little strange because I thought Uncle Vernon owned Grunnings. No, he didn't. He works for Grunnings. Oh. For some reason, I always assumed that he was the CEO. No. <laughs> Alright. Then him getting a company car made a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Did you think that as the CEO, he just expensed himself a new car? Yeah. Actually, I would totally believe that of Uncle Vernon, but I don't think it was true. I also thought, what an enterprising person. <laughs> Not only did he open a company about drills, he also bought his own car with yeah. the company money. Smart. And then Harry recounts a disastrous phone call that happened halfway through the summer holidays. Ron calls him and <laughs> yells at the top of his voice. Except it was not Harry who was answering the call, but Uncle Vernon. <laughs> Worst person to answer the phone ever. Yeah. <laughs> I actually find it funny that Harry even gave his friends his phone number. What did he think? Just because he got a call, they'll just pass the receiver to him? I agree. I mean, these are the people who the previous summer locked his window so that Hedwig couldn't go outside and pick up mail. Why would they let him answer the telephone? And the previous summer, they literally blocked him from receiving a letter. I would think that Harry would get the phone numbers of Ron and Hermione so that he could call. Yeah, that would have made a lot of sense. Except Ron doesn't have a phone number. Yeah, but he somehow managed to make this phone call. So I assume he's somewhere near a phone. And I would think that if Harry wanted to receive a call from someone, like he thinks after Ron calls, Hermione would have been more sensible. Yeah. Because she has muggle parents and she knows how a telephone works. And also Harry kind of blames Ron for getting him into trouble by just mentioning that he's from the same school as Harry. It's really funny because how else would people know Harry? Yeah. Seriously. At least Ron didn't say the M word. He just said we're from the same school. But it's really funny that Ron yelled. Yeah. Even as Harry is doing his homework, he realizes that he turned 13, thus entering his rebellious phase. Mm-hmm. And he notices three owls flying towards his room, carrying letters and gifts from all of his friends, which includes Hermione, Ron and Hagrid. It also serves as a quick recap of what each of them have been up to yeah. till this point since we last met them. Ron, for instance, is on holiday in Egypt because his father won a lottery. I noticed that some people on Reddit especially were like, Why would you need money to go to Egypt if you're a wizard? You could just apparate there or you could use flu powder, right? I was also like, yeah, like, why would you need, like, money to go there? And then I realized accommodation, they're a big family. (laughs) And Bill is, like, one person living there in an apartment. Like, how would he accommodate so many people? And also because they have a lot of children and they can't apparate. 
flu powder there's a flu network i don't know if it reaches to egypt i agree it's never really discussed how people travel internationally i think they have to actually set up a network with egypt and probably it's charged too <laughs> who knows maybe it's really expensive i don't know it's just i didn't really think about it until i saw the red thread for a brief second i was also like oh shit and then <laughs> There's also something really funny that happens. So Ron sends him a clipping from a newspaper which has a picture of them in Egypt and it's an important picture. It's very significant later on in the book, yeah. yeah. It's accompanied by a news that says that this person won the grand prize and they are planning on going to Egypt. Yeah. But the picture is in Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Fair enough. It's fine. It's a plot point. Yeah. So. Along with this letter Ron also sends Harry his first birthday card and a present a pocket sneakoscope. I actually liked Ron's letter a lot. I suck at writing letters and I suck at writing anything about vacations. I would have started by saying it took 1 hour for me to reach the airport <laughs> and I waited for a couple of hours there. Yeah, I know. Ron writes really well about his vacation. I would have also wasted a lot of time on details and just being like, "Oh, it's so awesome." That's how I describe all my vacations. "Oh, it's so awesome." It's amazing. That's all I really know how to say. We should really learn from Ron. He doesn't ramble on and I agree. he picks points that Harry would be really interested in. Yeah. Harry is actually really happy that the Weasleys won a pile of gold and he thinks that there is no one who would deserve it more. Yeah. The way he describes Weasleys, Harry couldn't think of anyone who deserved to win a large pile of gold more than the Weasleys, who were very nice and extremely poor. I love that J.K. Rowling did not use but there. Mm. Yeah. Both can coexist. Yeah. when the weasleys are being described as extremely poor the western idea of being poor baffles me yet again <laughs> they are on a vacation yeah i know i mean in the previous book they didn't have any money in the vault and jenny had to get so many second hand clothes that i think that if you want 700 pounds i'd spend it on some other things than maybe buying jenny new clothes i do think that you need to let loose once in a while especially if it's money that you did not get out of your hard work I do believe in letting loose but still the Weasleys are okay. They don't lack in some of the basic things like food and shelter. I wonder how much of that is due to magic. Food cannot be a mm. magical thing but shelter definitely. The pocket sneakoscope seems like a fairly useless present. I mean yeah. it reminded me of the remember all from book 1. Yeah. Because the sneakoscope lights up when someone untrustworthy is around but doesn't do anything useful like point <laughs> at the person who's untrustworthy. No, it's just a kids gift. It's a toy. It's a toy. I think Ron and Hermione's letters are very indicative of their personalities. Like Ron is interested in telling Harry details that he would appreciate, but Hermione is talking about how like she's learned so much and how she's had to add two extra roles to her history of magic paper and it's immediately clear to us that Hermione is a nerd. But Hermione's present, which you would expect and Harry does expect it to be like a large book full of very difficult spells, is very thoughtful. She doesn't give Harry something that she thinks would be good for him or that you know would be prove to be like useful later or something she actually thinks about what does harry like yeah. buys him exactly that like yeah. harry loves quidditch more than anything in the world so she buys him a broomstick servicing kit yeah which is such a thoughtful present i feel like their presents also say a lot about <laughs> them ron gives harry something that harry does find entertaining and is gimmicky but hermione has given him something that is really thoughtful yeah but i do feel a little bad for harry his <laughs> friends are writing and talking about their vacations and he is stuck at home not even celebrating his birthday but knowing harry he doesn't see it that way at all he's just like i'm so happy to have received a birthday present yeah 
Actually, I want to bring up something else here. It's clear from Hermione's letter that Ron is writing to Hermione and back and forth. Why didn't either of them write to Harry? I'm sure they were keeping in touch. Harry never mentions it and if they were keeping in touch, why did Ron wait till the end of the summer vacation to mention that they won the lottery and they're in Egypt? Hermione as well to say that she is in France. But Hermione says that Hedwig came to her. But then Hedwig turned up. I think she wanted to make sure you got something for your birthday for a change. So, looks like they did not want to create more trouble for Harry by sending him letters. I guess. I just found that detail to be kind of weird, but I also really like that Harry is not as insecure as he was in the last book. We are not certain if they were keeping a touch or not, but it's not really like weighing down on his mind. He's like, yeah. "It's great. I have presents." <laughs> Yay. And yeah. He just moves on. He also receives a very dubious present from Hagrid, which is also very indicative of Hagrid's personality. <laughs> yeah, it's a biting book, which is really interesting to me. Last time we had a book with brains. Yes. This time we have a book with teeth. And Harry thinks really fast on his feet. If I had a biting book, I would have gotten bitten a lot of times before <laughs> I figured out that a belt would be the right way to go. Yeah. I really love the way this book is portrayed in the movies. Mm-hmm. Just for all our listeners, Aishwarya does not like the third movie. Yeah, I don't. In this episode, especially for whatever we read, I just could not disassociate the movie from what I was reading because it was done so well. And I am sure by the end of the season, I'm going to convince you <laughs> that the third movie is the best movie of the series. Okay, challenge accepted. <laughs> At the end of the day though he is happy that he got all these presents and like he got to read his friends letters he ends the day with two worries one he is wondering why hagrid gave him that book is wondering whether hagrid procured yet another dangerous creature that he wants harry to take care of yeah <laughs> also how is one supposed to read this biting book and figure out how to take care of said dangerous monster yeah. there are no in- instructions attached to this book <laughs> the other worry is the hogsmeade permission slip Along with his school book list, he receives a permission slip that he needs to get signed from Uncle Vernon to visit the nearby village, which is called Hogsmeade, and which is fully magical and supposed to be a possible rite of passage for everybody in Hogwarts. And he might have to miss something this important because of his relationship with his guardians. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Hogsmeade is not really mentioned in the first two books. It's it? not right. It just came into being in book three to present itself as a worry for Harry. Just like the first line of this chapter, I think the last line is also super significant. Extremely unusual though he was, at that moment Harry Potter felt just like everyone else. Glad for the first time in his life that it was his birthday. The first line starts with Harry is not like all the other boys. but the last line shows us that he actually really is because even though he's a wizard and he has all these magical problems in the end he's also a kid who has friends who care about him and is excited about his birthday so that's pretty good so then we move on to chapter 2 aunt marge's big mistake so the day begins by the dursleys ignoring harry not even wishing him a happy birthday harry doesn't really worry about that but what really worries him is the news that uncle vernon's sister aunt marge is visiting aunt marge is basically another of harry's tormentor and every time she's ever visited he's had bad experiences and i can totally empathize with a bad relative visiting yeah i know especially this particular line in the book Even though she was not a blood relative of Harry's, whose mother had been Aunt Petunia's sister, he had been forced to call her aunt all his life. Story of my life. <laughs> Seriously. I think that's the story of every Indian child's life. Yeah. <laughs> When Aunt March does appear also, 
she seems like all my relatives except unlike dudley i get no money for hanging out with her true so aunt much basically loves to criticize everything about harry anything harry does might set her off uncle vernon is clearly worried about what harry might say to her and he's basically told her that harry was in some school called St. Brutus' Center for Incurably Criminal Boys. <laughs> it's so descriptive that it's funny. <laughs> and he wants Harry to maintain that story. Harry uses this as a bargaining chip to get the permission letter signed. I just don't understand the deals like this though because Harry has to keep his end of the bargain and lose the bargaining chip in order to get what he wants. And Uncle Vernon is totally the kind of person who will be like, no, you did not behave. Yeah. Even if he behaved. I agree but I'm so proud of Harry for even striking this bargain because he's again showing initiative yeah. he knows what he wants and he knows he can push uncle wanted to get what he wants and he's taking advantage of it especially this particular line knocking the stuffing out of me won't make aunt marge forget what i could tell her i know right it's totally a line that harry would say to malfoy or snape and he is using the same techniques to stand up to uncle warren and i'm so proud yeah As an adult when I read this part I was like but Harry could have forged his signature and no one would have ever known but as a kid it would have never even occurred to me to forge signatures a signature is some kind of binding contract <laughs> that only the possessor of that signature can sign it also I don't think Harry is the kind of kid that gets into simple troubles he needs to go big something has to be on the line it should not be just about him yeah. it has to be something about saving the world <laughs> i could not understand why aunt much believe so easily that that harry goes to saint brutus's though she did not like harry at all she can clearly see that he's not incurably criminal <laughs> I'm not really certain what drives Aunt Marge's hatred for Harry. I would understand if Vernon and Petunia treated the boys equally. She might hate Harry because she thinks he might be depriving Dudley of mm. something. But in this particular scenario, there is no equal treatment. Dudley's parents favor only Dudley and they go out of their way to not give Harry the things that he needs. It's just random pettiness and spite. No, I think that she does not approve whatever Harry gets right now. I was thinking the same thing. What was the basis of her hatred? Later on she says, "They died in a car crash, you nasty little liar, and left you to be a burden on their decent, hard-working relatives." Maybe that's the basis of it. Another basis could be that this character Aunt Marge is based off on J.K. Rowling's own grandmother and apparently she was a lover of dogs but hated humans. Though Aunt Marge is not an out and out misanthrope, maybe she is okay with liking her relatives but definitely not someone like Harry who's not a blood relative. That's possible. I love the way J.K. Rowling describes Aunt Marge. On the threshold stood Aunt Marge. She was very like Uncle Vernon, large, beefy and purple-faced. She even had a moustache, though not as bushy as his. He's so horrible. <laughs> Speaking of descriptions, there is an awful lot of fat shaming in this particular chapter. I think the first time I even read about double chins and became conscious of double chins was thanks to Harry Potter because she spent so much time describing Dudley's chins, his five chins, his chins wobbling. She can't let a description of Dudley go without mentioning about how fat his face is. It actually made me feel a little bad reading it. Like I looked at myself in the mirror for a bit and I was like how many chins do I have? <laughs> No, but as we discussed this multiple times over the first two seasons, it's not that she hates fat people or that she hates people who like dogs, like Aunt Marge. She just shows that fat people can come in any form or shape, just the way you said how evil can take any form. So we have a person who's overweight, who's bad, and we have a person like Mrs. Weasley who's overweight and really good. 
the same way we have a person like aunt march who loves animals and who's like totally evil otherwise and we have a person like hermione who loves animals and also really good so it's just i think she likes to play around with both ends of the spectrum the same things that she finds disgusting in bad people she finds very nice and very pleasant way to describe someone in the good people i agree except like we discussed in the last season especially about mrs weasley mrs weasley like you said is plump as jk rowling describes in the books but it's mentioned exactly once and it never comes up again but every time dudley is described the fact that he's fat is in there he has no other personality other than he's fat yeah that's horrible on some level it's the truth for dudley right he doesn't talk he only watches tv mm-hmm. he's only interested if harry is being tormented and you have to remember that we are also seeing all this from harry's point of view and he's probably likely to be thinking along the same lines when you hate someone so much just like the dursleys hate him for being so thin or for having untidy hair he hates them for being fat i guess and apparently the gossip is that aunt march was in love with Colonel Fubster who's taking care of her other dogs while she was away but he did not reciprocate her feelings and that's possibly the reason for all her unpleasantness okay <laughs> <laughs> she does talk about Colonel Fubster twice and now that you mention it that's probably why he even comes up i mean i attributed to the fact that she has 12 dogs that's all she has going on with her life so when she talks about her dogs he automatically comes up but why even mention him by name yeah. twice yeah main event of this chapter is the showdown between Harry and Aunt Marge. In the book it happens across multiple days. The first day she's just criticizing the way he looks and she opinionates that he should probably be cane more and later on she talks about his mother and during the final showdown she talks about his father. his father. But I love that in the movie all of this happens in a single day the day she arrives. <laughs> yeah. And the way the scene is staged is lovely. It starts by Harry being a little cocky. He thinks that he can get through it and at the end of the tunnel he has the permission slip waiting for him. So he's a little playful and he tries to go along with it as much as he can and the way he delivers the lines. They use a cane at St. Brutus's boy? Oh yeah. Yeah, I I've, I've been beaten loads of times. Mm. <laughs> All those things are fun and he turns around towards the camera and we see the conversation happening behind him at the table as aunt march starts talking about these really nasty things about his family you can see how daniel radcliffe's expression changes from cocky to really angry in a few seconds right i think this was probably the first performance that daniel radcliffe made Mm-hmm. As a kid I liked everything about him. What he was wearing, his expression, his acting and his angst. For a moment there I had a huge crush. Mhm. Then I watched the fourth movie. <laughs> But yeah, I love the scene. It's a really good scene, I agree. When I think about this particular chapter, all I can really remember is how it's swelling and floating away from the movie. Like it's like fixed in my head. I just don't understand how he thinks that he made it happen. Mhm. Though he did. and it's an accident mm-hmm. he keeps talking as if he did it intentionally which i find was strange because he was not using a wand he is not like that great of a wizard that can do wandless magic and is the ministry of magic basically saying that wizards and witches should not feel stuff ever no they're not saying that they're saying that you should take care to not let wandless magic happen in front of muggles actually you should take care to make sure that magic doesn't happen in front of muggles with wand or without wand even then they have means of making sure everything goes away right like even though aunt marge is blown up the accidental magic reversal squad shows up on the scene and fixes everything well they have ways of fixing it no doubt about that it's just that harry is still a kid mm-hmm. and a guardian is responsible for his actions 
and Harry does not have a magical guardian. They clearly should have their rules revised. I agree. A newly minted teenager is not going to be in control of all their emotions. I agree. He also says this. It had been a long time since he had lost control and made something explode. He couldn't afford to let it happen again. I don't remember when he last made something explode either. Yeah, he made the glass disappear at the zoo, but I don't remember anything else that happened. Me neither. But it is so amazing that once the incident happens, right? Harry realizes that there's no coming back from this immediately and takes advantage of the chaos to like quickly make a run for it yeah. right he's not waiting for someone to come rescue him as he was in the previous book mm. he takes action and he leaves he doesn't know where he's going he doesn't know what's going to happen ron is in egypt hermione is in france he has no way of even communicating with another person because hedwig is not with him but he still leaves yeah. because he knows that it's much better alternative than staying there and putting up with them No I think that at that point he had lost control of logical reasoning he himself says that he had this reckless rage and that he had never felt that angry ever in his life I think him walking out was just another display of his anger especially by walking out without even trying to help Aunt Marge who is floating around in the ceiling yeah that's true and I think we should also talk a little bit about what Aunt Marge says mm-hmm. about Harry's parents because the way she describes Harry's parents is awful I'm surprised Aunt Petunia was so okay with her sister being described that way. I don't know how much Petunia likes Aunt Marge. It's clear she's not completely comfortable with her visiting, but I'm drawing this from my personal life. But I have actually seen a similar situation in my life with this relative of mine and my mother and I have seen several situations where my mother has literally had to just grit her teeth and bear with it even if she wanted to say something otherwise because she knows that picking a fight or saying something to shut that other person up is more trouble than it's actually worth. So you just sort of like just letting it go. You're just in the zen zone because you know that getting worked up is just going to lead to more frustration for you. So I've actually seen this happen so I found it very convincing that Petunia didn't actually say anything. What I found really interesting was that Uncle Vernon started to panic, which is clearly shows that the power balance is in favor of Harry. Uncle Vernon is not panicking because he thinks that Aunt Marge is crossing a line in terms of being polite, but he thinks that there's a very real danger that Harry would yeah. get angry and do something. Yeah, they are truly terrified of him. Yeah, that's an incredible role reversal from book one. <laughs> When Aunt Marge talks about Harry's appearance and how she sees that a lot with dogs and how she actually drowned a dog for yeah. being thin, that's when we know that she's not like a real animal lover. Yeah. She's just a person who breeds dogs. Yeah. It's so strange. Apparently, J.K. Rowling chose bulldogs because she thought it was too ferocious. Mm-hmm. But in reality, they are really cuddly and nice. <laughs> so she regrets that now. <laughs> That leads us to chapter 3, The Night Bus. I just want to take a quick moment to talk about the title cards for these chapters. I love them because chapter 1 had a picture of the broomstick servicing kit from Hermione. Chapter 2 is a picture of a suitcase with Ripper the bulldog peeping out from behind the suitcase and he looks kind of like worried like oh no stuff is going to happen <laughs> types and chapter 3 is actually a ticket mm-hmm. from the night bus jim k has given it a lot of attention and it shows every illustration is delightful yeah harry is sitting around in the neighborhood trying to figure out what he can do and he thinks that he's possibly going to be expelled so he decides to go take his money from gringotts and then lie low for a while at least and that's when he sees a huge dog 
Yeah, a really it's, scary dog. Yeah. I mean, you see the illustration in the book. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look like a dog or anything. It's just a shape in the darkness and it is weird looking and <laughs> scary. Like if I'd seen something like that at night, I would have been terrified. Actually, even the illustration of Blown Up Aunt Marge was terrifying. Yeah, I agree. In the movie, she's honestly cuddly compared to this. Yeah. In this, she looks like some really grotesque doll. Which is probably more realistic. Yeah. There's also a great picture of Uncle Vernon. They actually show that scene first where they show Uncle Vernon reacting at Aunt Marge blowing up. And then the next page is the blown up Aunt Marge. And Uncle Vernon's face is amazing. The fear, the terror, like this lost quality of his face is amazing. In the movie, it's played off as a really funny thing. Mm-hmm. Even though Harry is angry. But in the book, they clearly stay true to the tone. And it's just Harry's just fuming and he finds no humor in it. Yeah. So he sees this dog and then he falls over and somehow he summons a violently purple triple decker bus. Yeah, which is the cover of the illustrated edition. It is beautiful. <laughs> I love everything about the night bus. I love the way it arrives. I love Stan Shunpike. <laughs> and in the movie I love the crazy Caribbean shrunken head. Yes. <laughs> it is so cool. I agree. <laughs> Yeah, everything about the scene in the book and the movie is very eccentric and lovable. Yeah. So when this book came out, we had a particularly good time traveling after that. Mhm. Because so I had a few relatives in some of the underdeveloped parts of the town and to get there you need to go in a minibus. Mhm. Riding on them can be really bumpy and the roads were bad. If you sit in the last seat especially, you will just be thrown up and down throughout <laughs> the whole journey. I mean, as an adult your back would break. <laughs> But as a kid, I just enjoyed thinking about it as a night bus, right? <laughs> it made it all the more interesting for me, interesting and fun. Hey, that's a note I've written out too. The night bus is right sounds like every MTC bus I've ever taken. <laughs> yeah, the concept of night bus itself is really interesting. It is also pretty great that it arrives like a white knight to mm-hmm. save the day when Harry doesn't know where to go or how to get there. The night bus is there. And he has just enough money to get a ticket. Apparently, Rowling chose the name because for night is a homonym for night, the mm-hmm. starry night, night. Mm-hmm. And she liked that there were buses running all over Britain at the night, even after all other kinds of transportation stops. And they are always really helpful. So, for standard witches and wizards, that would be a real nice way to transport them to where they wanted to be. That is pretty cool. He gets on the bus and he pays for a seat and a hot chocolate. Yes, Stan Shunpike's accent is delightful. because he says 13 like 14 and for a long time i swear i thought harry paid 15 for a no month. 14 as 14 oh that's yeah. 14 yeah. wait so you pay only like one sickle extra for toothbrush yeah my god one sickle extra for a toothbrush and one sickle more than that for a hot chocolate oh okay <laughs> so harry buys the most expensive ticket yeah and the inside of the night bus looks like a sleeper bus there are no seats there are like bedsteads and there are like wizards lying on it and sleeping and again this sounds like every sleeper bus i've ever taken because you get tossed around a lot not as much as this do you think they have loose the night bus i don't think so why apparently not the total capacity itself at night is just nine oh so apparently that's the way it is at night mm-hmm. but we know that later on in the series they do take the night bus during the day yeah yeah and it's replaced by just seats mm-hmm. like normal seats So I don't know what the capacity would be then. I see. Basically, the beds are just like flying around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and 
seemingly the night bus just appears from one location to another stand shanpeg is just like this is where we were before you flagged us wheels <laughs> and people getting down from the night bus at their stops are like really relieved wait i'm also really confused if the night bus can operate from wherever it wants to go why doesn't it just go directly to the stop funsies you can move to an approximate location by operating but you just have to drive to go to the right stop Harry looks at a newspaper where he learns that Sirius Black was actually a wizard when he was with Uncle Vernon he would have watched the news where there was a report of this person who broke out from the prison and Uncle Vernon would be making general statements about how people with long hair are usually criminals <laughs> yes i remember that <laughs> so he's surprised that he's actually a wizard and he was so dangerous that even the muggle tv had news about him i think this is our first overlap between the muggle and the wizarding world it shows that what happens in the wizarding world doesn't necessarily stay there it affects muggles also no but there was another overlap in book 1 itself in the first chapter everybody celebrating and the owls are flying about yeah and but that's being reported on tv but that was just a one off event right this mm. is a serial killer on the loose mm. yeah in the muggle news apparently sirius black is said to be carrying a gun while muggles have been told that black is carrying a gun a kind of metal wand which muggles use to kill each other when harry learns that sirius black is voldemort's supporter it makes it all the more closer to harry than before because clearly harry is like the one person that testified voldemort and he says the name out loud except this time earn the driver jerks the steering wheel so hard that a whole farmhouse has to move away from his path <laughs> to accommodate the bus <laughs> One of the reasons uh, Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite book is because it's the first time that I encountered I want to say tropes that I really like. For instance, take this particular story about Sirius Black, right? It's not news to anyone who's read the rest of this book that this story is like one layer of the onion. It's it's not the complete truth. It's just one version that people know and it's the popular version, but it's not the complete truth. As the book progresses, we get many more versions that move closer and closer to the truth until we get to the final version which bears no resemblance to the story that's out in the world itself. And that's something that I really like. That's how the world works. No one ever like accurately narrates things to each other. And I love piecing together narratives to try to get to the heart of it. It's my favorite thing about crime procedurals and detective novels, and I really like that about this book. Peeling back the layers one by one and realizing, okay, this is it. Yeah, this book is mostly like a thriller. Yeah. So since Harry is on the run, he introduces himself as Neville Longbottom to Stanshan Pike. And <laughs> I like that after Harry gets down at Leaky Cauldron and Stanshan Pike learns that Harry is in fact Harry Potter, he still continues to call him Neville. Yeah. <laughs> It is really cute. When he goes to Leaky Cauldron, who's waiting for him none other than the Minister of Magic. Yeah, the Minister of Magic himself. I understand Harry mouthing off to authority in other situations, but the same Harry is so guilty that he's constantly reminding himself that he made so many mistakes and he will be expelled. Mhm. Yet he has no hesitation talking to him. Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, I don't know what that says about Cornelius Fudge himself. Yes, he has the title of Minister of Magic, but he doesn't inspire to Harry at least. He doesn't inspire as much gravity as say like Dumbledore. But Harry is not hesitant about talking to Dumbledore either. He's not. But when he knows that he is guilty, later on in this book especially there's a particular incident where Harry has an interaction with a teacher about an incident where he knows he's guilty and the teacher is giving him like a dressing down and Harry feels this intense guilt and shame over that incident. 
Yeah. And that's not something that is displayed in this particular moment. But uh, Harry feels it at that point because he really respects that person. Mm. And knowing that that person is disappointing him kills him. Whereas here, he doesn't really respect the Minister of it Magic. It happens in the second book also when they come to Hogwarts in a flying car and Dumbledore yes. looks like totally disappointed. Yeah. I mean, those are the situations where Harry is really bothered. Here, he doesn't really respect Fudge. He has precedent also. He was there in the hut when Fudge took Hagrid to Azkaban. And he knows that was a flawed decision. And he knows that it was a flawed decision not because Fudge was convinced that Hagrid is the one setting the creature loose. He knows that he did it because he had to do something. Yeah. Which is the worst reasoning of it all. And after that, I doubt anyone would be inspired by someone like Fudge. That's true. As Harry notices it, all of this is really weird. He blows up his aunt, the Minister of Magic is waiting for him and it's perfectly okay that he blew up his aunt. They reverse the whole thing by using the accidental magic reversal squad and he's not getting into trouble for this. I agree because the last time the house elf dropped the cake, he got an owl immediately. They were like, you're going to be expelled and no one came to reverse anything <laughs> or modify anybody's memories. That's true. Yeah, no one came to even smoothen it out or anything like that. Here, on the other hand, someone modified memories, reversed the magic, smoothened it out with the Dursley so that Harry could return there. That's amazing. As we will find out, there is a reason for all this and Harry is clearly waiting to find out himself. Yeah. So this brings us to chapter 4, The Leaky Cauldron. Chapter 4, The Leaky Cauldron is, I think, one of the best chapters in all the books because I think it's the only time that Harry gets to be happy and free of all worries. Like there's nothing plaguing him. He, he's away from the Dursleys, but he's not in school. Are you serious? You do know what happens at the end of this chapter. That's like the biggest worry ever. Yeah, but till the last day of his summer holidays, Harry is like carefree and very happy. Nothing is bothering him in the world. He has all the freedom to go and come as he pleases, to sit wherever he wants, eat whatever he wants. He finishes his homework in the sunshine outside an ice cream parlor where he gets free Sundays every half an hour and help with his essay. It's brilliant. It's no France or Egypt, but Harry is also getting like a proper vacation. That's true. Diagon Alley is a great place to be confined to because Harry gets to explore all the shops and get to really like know the place. In fact, he also gets to be like a typical teenager window shopping at a broomstick shop. He goes to visit the Firebolt every day. He could probably afford it. He never finds out the price because it says price upon request. But Harry just goes back every day to look at it and admire it. So the Firebolt can go from 0 to 150 miles per hour in 10 seconds, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty comparable to something like a Ferrari because Ferrari goes from 0 to 60 miles per hour in mm-hmm. 2.9 seconds. In a Firebolt, you are basically not protected by a heavy metal yeah. thing around you. So there was a huge physics discussion that I read somewhere that just made me come to a conclusion that this is actually the top speed that a broomstick can go up to before it kills the player on the post. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They actually wear no equipment at all. The whiplash could break your neck. Yeah. This explains why in the first couple of movies, at least I remember them wearing like knee pads, elbow pads. And <laughs> a sort of a helmet. Yeah. The Irish international side also orders fireballs for all its players, thereby sowing the seeds of book four. Foreshadowing. <laughs> but my favorite part of this particular chapter is actually Harry's visit to Flourish and Blots because there are so many interesting things about it. One, the Monster Book of Monsters is finally explained. It is the new book for a class Harry picked called Care of Magical Creatures. But it's a book so obscure that the person who owns the bookshop 
doesn't really know how to deal with the books <laughs> poor guy gets bitten <laughs> just trying to separate them and give them to owners but it's also interesting because harry gets an explanation for the thing that he thought he saw when he left private drive as well he's buying a book for his divination class when he sees a large black bear like dog on the cover of a book called death omens what to do when you know the worst is coming there's explanation number 2 as well it's not an explanation it's just an additional mystery but he know at least knows where to look and he has a vague idea at least of what he saw i love that the mirror in his room talks yeah <laughs> when he tries to comb his hair the mirror is like you're fighting a losing battle there <laughs> So the next day he runs into Ron and Hermione and immediately the mood changes completely because Ron is there and Ron makes jokes. Yes. And even about like the most horrible things like Hermione is so worried about Harry blowing up his aunt but Ron makes a complete joke of it. I'd hate to see what the ministry would do to me if I blew up an aunt. Mind you they'd have to dig me up first because mum would have killed me. Yeah. But hey you're forgetting the most important news ever. Ron has a new wand. Oh yeah. I am so glad for Ron. So Ron's wand is a 14-inch willow with unicorn hair. So according to wand lore essays by J.K. Rowling on Pottermore, Willow's ideal owner has some usually unwarranted insecurity, but Willow selects those of great potential rather than those who feel they have little to learn. And unicorn cores are generally difficult to turn to the dark arts. Most wands are between 9 and 14 inches, but longer wands are usually used by taller wizards, but are also drawn to bigger personalities and people with a more dramatic style of magic. <laughs> so, I guess given that the wand chooses the wizard, this wand thinks a lot of great things about Ron. Yeah, thinks that he doesn't think of himself, but the wand believes in him. We learn that Hermione has chosen to take all the lessons, including muggle studies. Yeah. Ron has a great point about muggle studies in the sense that Hermione is a muggle-born, her parents are muggles, she went to a muggle school. But I also think Hermione has a point, yeah, because it would be very useful to learn about what wizards think of muggles. Yeah. Useful and very interesting. I yeah. feel the same way. And she is lugging around so many books that when she says that she has extra money to buy a present, Ron is like, "How about a nice book?" Yeah. <laughs> To be honest, I would have probably just been like, okay, and I'm just gone <laughs> bought like some fiction. <laughs> But she wants to buy an owl, and Harry, who knows Diagon Alley like the back of his hand right now, takes them to Magical Menagerie, yeah, a pet shop. The pet shop is so beautifully illustrated. Like there are so many fascinating creatures in that particular picture, and tellingly enough, the cat is looking straight at you. <laughs> right, I've always noticed about cats. actually the whole family of cats i remember like every zoo i've ever been to which has like a tiger in it when you know like you're looking for the tiger and you manage to actually locate the tiger if it's sitting in a particular position it's looking at you it's looking at you in this really creepy way and you're always like immediately aware that there is very little separating you from this man eating beast yeah i'm hungry enough to attack now yeah <laughs> Ron brings out scabbers and he shows it to the person in the store saying that Egypt probably did not agree with scabbers because he was not looking right. The store person thinks that it's probably lived its full life. It clearly does not have any discernible magical abilities and it's probably coming closer to the end of life. Even if Harry didn't learn anything from this visit to magical manager, I learned a lot. For instance, double-ended newts, gross. I googled double-ended newts to see what like other people think of it and some people had even done illustrations of what they think they look like. Okay. It looks like you like take the front part of two lizards and glue them together. Yeah. I wish you had not told me that. Yeah, it was really weird looking. Mm-hmm. And also rats in the magical world have powers. What kind of powers? Skipping with their tails. tails. That actually sounds like a great pet. I would totally buy that. 
So there we see that even though Ron doesn't particularly show that he likes Scabbers, he's not willing to give it up for any reason. And he just picks up a rat tonic there. And then he gets attacked by a huge cat, which Harry describes as either a large cat or a small tiger. <laughs> Again, I know I keep saying this, but in the illustrated edition, those particular pages are slightly orange. They look like cat fur yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, on, is the background of those pages. It is so beautiful. Guys, please read the illustrated edition. <laughs> And it's so sweet that Hermione buys the cat. I mean, she did not even walk in there trying to buy a cat. Yeah. Is it just because she felt pity for this cat because nobody wanted it? Or because she kind of identified with it because it's like the odd one out? I don't understand. But it's so sweet that she bought it. Honestly, this is going to set up the whole plot. But it's also going to define the relationship between Hermione and Ron in this book. I think it also shows us the kind of person Hermione is becoming. She does a lot of things in the future which are completely in line with buying Crookshanks. Like you said, I don't know if it's pity or if it's because she identified with him. But she later on identifies herself as champion of the downtrodden. And yeah. this is where it all began. Yeah. <laughs> with buying this very large cat or small tiger. Another interesting interesting thing from the movie there's a person in the leaky cauldron stirring his pot mm-hmm. with wandless magic mm-hmm. and he's reading stephen hawking's a brief history of time that is so cool So that brings us to the end of this episode. We have the rest of chapter 4, The Leaky Cauldron, and then some more for the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We are also really excited that we started season 3. We are excited about the kind of events that we are going to discuss. If you have something to discuss about this particular episode, you can drop us a comment at our website, mimblewimble.in. You can also talk to us on social media. We are mimblewimblepod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also, of course, talk to us on our personal social handles. I'm Valley under Chim on Twitter and Prashanti is underscore Empress. See you in the next episode. Until then. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs>